Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. My guest tonight is Rajan Andres Dubarry also known for their poetry as Love Infinite. They are a multidisciplinary creator, performer, and artist currently living in Augusta, Georgia. They bow in service to the ideas of evolution and constant metamorphosis through a reverence of nature, divinity, vulnerability, and candor in all they create. They recently self-published an e-book titled the Fear Project, Volume One. Help me welcome Srijan to the program. All right, we are waiting on Srijan. Actually, due to some technical difficulties, she's yet to join us. But stay in there with us, and we'll be right back. I think Trejan might be with us. Good evening. Hello. Hello. Trejan, maybe not. All right. Well, let's continue this journey with Kevin McLeod and Heartbreaking. Another number, I see. Good Hello. evening. Can you hear me? Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? I can barely hear you. It's like you speak up just a little bit. I'm sorry. You said I need to speak up or you just can't hear me? Yes. I need you to speak up for me. Are you there? Hello. You know, everyone, you've been with me the last six years. Technology, especially on live programs, sometimes is more than a notion. So hopefully she will be with us. They will be with us in a moment.
Let's try again. All right. Say, Sean. Good evening. Are you able to hear me now? I, I can hear you now. I can hear you now. Okay. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio. Thank you so much for bearing with me. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I'm just glad you're here. I'm already smiling, so thank you. Thank you for putting a smile on my face. Let's begin this no. poetic journey, okay? Are you yes. ready? I All right. John, what is what is poetry? How do you define it? What is poetry? Uh, I, I genuinely... I'm always telling people, I feel like poetry, uh, poetry, it has many definitions, but I feel like it is life. It is, you know, the way that we walk, the way we talk, the way um, you would breathe compared to the way that I would breathe. We, we move differently, and that is what poetry is, how everyone has the different experiences, different sights, different senses, and how we can write our own stories and put it in our own words, our own, you know, way of how we came to receive a moment that will differ from poet to poet and that in it. So I feel like it's about, you know, life and perception, um, being in existence, and that is what poetry is to me. All right. What a beautiful definition. A beautiful Thank definition. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I like that. Wow. 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 You were royalty tonight. That was a beautiful definition. Beautiful definition. Well, let me ask this question. Is it important? Is poetry important? I feel like asking if poetry is important, it's like, Asking if life is important, and again, with I'm going to be saying this probably the whole night just because you asked the question and started off okay. with this. It's all yes. perspective. It's all subjective, you know. Is poetry important to somebody who doesn't care about the nuances mm-hmm. of life, about the mundane, about the spiritual, the mystical, all the different things you could write poetry about, you know, then maybe it's not important, but if you find value in life, if you find value in flowers and water and the dew and leaves and pillows or whatever it is that you could see, whatever you could experience, then, of course, poetry is important. I think writing is important. Life is important. Living is important. And the way that we all are unique is important. So, therefore, poetry is important, yes. Oh, wow. You are, you are so refreshing. <laughs> Thank you. I think the same of you. I love your laugh. Your laugh is the best. Oh, well, this is you. the best laugh that I've heard. <laughs> As a mutual admiration society, what I'd like you to do, please share with me an early experience where you learned that poet's language Okay, I'm sorry. Can you say that question one more time? Yes. Yes. Please share with me an early experience where you learned that poetic language. It's like I'm missing the last part where where I learned okay. the poetic language. <laughs> and power. Power. Yes. 
power. <laughs> when did you first realize? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, beautiful question. I got yes. it. Beautiful question. Um, well, 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 well. So many different ways I could answer this. And I'm not trying mm-hmm. to be profound with my answers all the time. That's I think right. poets have that <laughs> have that problem. We always <laughs> want to be profound and everything sounds like we, you know, we spent years working on that. Like it's the wisdom. But I genuinely feel like I knew, again, because everything is poetry, I knew that words mm-hmm. had power. Um, you know, so early, I, I think it had to be elementary school. And everybody deals with bullying sometimes. Mostly, you know, that's a common problem with everyone. So I think it was when somebody commented on something that I had not noticed with my own senses as a bad thing. And Mm -hmm. they described it from their perspective as a bad thing. And then my whole perception of that thing changed. I think that's when I knew that words had power, that poetry is powerful. I learned, of course, about poetry in elementary school, but more so in middle school, did you did we get to start writing it and you get to start crafting your own power, you know, and then you get to start mm-hmm. having your own narrative. Um, of course, you have that in elementary mm-hmm. school, too, that, you know, they're teaching you how to write narrative, teaching you how to write expository, teaching you how to write descriptive. But, and so I understood the power has. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, because everyone can make their own choices, their own decision. How, where am I going to put this word? Where am I going to put that stanza? What about this line? What about this rhyme? What about um, repeating that? What is this repetition going to do? I think that is, it's very easy to see how words are powerful based off of communication in itself, how we talk to each other. When you do learn in school about history, and certain events that happened and um, how there was no understanding or no common ground reached, then you start to understand how important poetry and coming together communication mm-hmm. is and how, how monumental it can be if we are on the same page, if a poem or if a conversation puts us on the same page. All right, very nice. You know, all great writers, and I'm including you in this category, have great <laughs> writing influences. Who are some of yours? What makes them great in your eyes? The writing influences. Ooh. Well, there are so many amazing poets. That is a very hard question. But I feel like um, mm-hmm. there's there's Morgan Parker. There's um, Intizaki Shange. There's Maya Angelou. There's Nikki Giovanni, there's Gwendolyn Brooks, there's um, Langston Hughes, and um, there's, um, who else could I say off the top? There's Zora Neale Hurston. Um, There's so many Mm -hmm. different Black um, poets and also rappers for me that made me understand like how crazy <laughs> language is, mm-hmm. how um yes. how made up it is, <laughs> how illusionary <laughs> it is, and how we can create our own world and speak of our experiences with language. So those are 
my um I would say just top influences and you know, going to maybe one of the easier ones, my Angelo is just so amazing at claiming power and showing power. Um, there's a, a poem of hers. It's called um, Alone. And I learned about it in college. And and she's just like, nobody but nobody can make it all alone. And um, that, it was it was that in itself. It was a time I was feeling so alone in my body, feeling, you know, depressed, maybe just going through, figuring out how to regulate myself and my mental health. Yeah. And her poem, this poem alone, made me realize, you know, like, that isn't necessarily something that I should be trying to figure out all by myself. You know, I'm new here. I'm new in the world. Other people have experiences. Other people have dealt with dealing with. Other people need support. We need each other. And so that poem was just very influential, I think, on me figuring out what it is that I want to do with my life and my legacy in the way that she has. And just overcoming so much pain and trauma and just re-narrating her story to one of power. Yes. Alone, my Angelou, lying, thinking last night, how to find my soul a home where water is not thirsty and bread loaf is not stone. I came up with one thing, and I don't believe I'm wrong, that nobody, but nobody can make it out here alone, alone, all alone, nobody, nobody. And make it out here alone. There are some millionaires with money they can't use. Their wives run around like banshees. Their children sing the blues. They've got expensive doctors to cure their hearts of stone. But nobody, no nobody, can make it out here alone. Alone. All alone. All alone. Nobody, nobody can make it out here alone. Now, if you listen closely, I'll tell you what I know. Storm clouds are gathering. The wind is going to blow. The race of man is suffering, and I can hear the moan. Because nobody, but nobody can make it out here alone. Alone. All alone. Nobody, but nobody can make it out here alone. Yes. <laughs> No, literally when that's a, when I hear that, I'm like, it's a song, it's a hymn, it's a it's a psalm, it's a prayer. Like it's a it's such a beacon poem for me. I love hearing it. I was just over here dancing wow. while you were reciting it. It has so much power to me. Honestly <laughs> I had I had never heard it before. I mean uh <laughs> when you were talking, I just <laughs> I Googled it. I Googled it and found it, and uh, <laughs> so it shared my truth through it. It is a problem. So it is, it's incredible because it's difficult to make it out here alone. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. We're born social creatures. Mm-hmm. Social creatures. Social creatures. So, Sajan, what do you write about, Love Infinite? What do you write about? 
I write about love. <laughs> I write about how okay. how hard it is to to find yourself on that frequency when you have endured so much trauma and had so many people try to take your love away, even if it is abundant, how mm-hmm. that can be a battle and that can be a war within yourself when you know what your heart is, but it's so hard to communicate it. And so you have to find mm-hmm. other ways um, beyond the anxiety, beyond maybe the contempt or the disgust with humanity after, you know, some past experiences. How do you trek through the woods or the storm cloud and the wind? How do you trek through the suffering and find yourself back to peace, back to reclaiming your power and confidence? I think I write about um, I write about the body, I write about the mind, I write about the spirit, the soul, the connection of all of those things, how black souls and spirits have been um, altered forever through certain events in history, how we are still being altered, how we're still having to be so persevering and enduring as we await um, the race coming together and, you know, really deconstructing that idea of being in a race and just because there is no competition in love. And so I think that's what I write about, you know, just human emotions and regulation, evolution. Trying to and and I say right. evolution because history is so important and and mm-hmm. we can't forgo history just because we're living in the present. You know we can focus on multiple things at once and you have to understand how history informs the present, how it informs the future, how we can reflect and make better choices and that's also what I write about. Reflection. There's a lot of right. reflection. All right. All right. You know, on this particular show, it's a little different than some others. What I like to do is ask a question, and then I'll say, for example, please share a poem. And you'll share a poem, and then I'll ask another question. So it's one poem at a time. So what I'd like you to do is to share. So you like for me to share a poem, great. And I yes. am going yes. to share a poem from my book, The Fear Project, Volume 1. This poem is called Astrophobia, which is the fear of lightning. They say lightning never strikes, they Say lightning never strikes the same place twice and Oya releases big gubas with the tenderest of might. What old fool came up with that lie? I've been standing all over the place facing every direction and projection and in four different locations I was by that same sword 333 valentines. I'm actually not sure 
if it was the same strike, but it came from the same source. That I know for sure. The same place Azula drew the power to electrify innocence is the same sky I cower from when the thunder storms her gigantic rage across miles of expanse, daring poets, oracles, and meteorologists alike to guess where those terrible twos will tour. Next, I always knew, I mean, sort of all along, that I tour the world with poetry, music, and songs, magic beams climbing up so and so stalks to summon their geese and nurture their golden eggs like they were laid between my very own thighs. I always knew neither rain, sleet, nor snow could stop my shine. I suppose because I've been hit and ran before, I'll always be dancing in frightened delight to the drums of thunder and the stupefying spells of sister lightning. Give me a heads up next time before you strike me again, old friend. Wow. <laughs> wow. Tell us, what is the purpose of that particular poem? What's the purpose? Well, I see a lot of things spiritually. And I see that, mm-hmm. I feel like lightning is, we have to really deconstruct what is lightning. Um, clearly, light has that in the, in the word. And, but what, what is really, where is lightning really coming from? Um, where is that source? You know, is it fire? Is it water? Is it air? Is it earth? And, um, you know, fire. Lightning is electricity. Um, we talk about technology, and we talked about, you know, how uh, <laughs> it's, I had some technical difficulties coming here. And and you get to choose what strikes you. You know, you get to choose what breaks you down. I know things will hurt us no matter what. Sometimes we don't have control over what hurts us, but we do get to decide after the initial strike if we'll continue to be harmed by something. We get to let it go. Mm. We get to decide to move on. We get to thunder back at the event that hurt us in a different way. We get to transmute, you know, lightning. Um, This poem is about, you know, there's a a TV show called Avatar the Airbender. It's about, you know, controlling Mm -hmm. your power. It's about controlling your attention. Your attention is power where you put your attention, where you put your your focus. You could put your focus on being in pain or you could put your focus on healing that pain by talking to people, by standing in the rain, by letting yourself be cleansed by the love of others and compassion. But you have a choice, you know, of what you get struck by. And um, me saying, you know, just give me a heads up next time before you strike me is... Um, just a joke, because life will never do that. <laughs> no. It'll never do that, no. but, you know, we do get to decide no. what we get to do in return. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even even poets, all poets know that, you know, when you get hit with a, a strike of 
inspiration, you can't control that. Mm-hmm. You can't control these things, but you can control what you do next. So the the whole point of the book, The Fair Project, is about, you know, examining these fears and deciding what we do next now that we've confronted them, now that we're face-to-face with them. Are they even scary anymore? Are they even fears anymore? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's a perfect segue into your book. What inspired you to write it, The Fear Project, Volume 1? Well, I knew that I wanted to write a poetry book, <laughs> a lot of them. Okay, but, um, okay. You know, you have to start somewhere. And so this summer, yes. I was like, I had this idea that's been sitting in my head for some years now, which is the Fair Project. It started off as an idea mm-hmm. for a play because I went to school for theater. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of Divide wow. shows, and so I've written plays. And so I decided... You know, I did try to collaborate, you know, (laughs) not be alone Mm -hmm. in this venture. I did try Mm -hmm. to collaborate with somebody and try to write a play with a former, you know, um, colleague of mine from college. But they were like going through their own life problems and we weren't able to be in alignment when I wanted to do this um, project. So it just so happened that this month or not this month, but, um, you know, this summer, I decided, okay, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to take a month to write this book um, because I had already wrote a couple phobia poems, but then I just started Googling phobias, you know, found the Wikipedia page. They had a huge list of all these different fears, and I remember um, just reading them, and even if they weren't fears of mine, even if I never considered that to be a fear, I decided to take myself on a journey putting myself in other people's mm-hmm. shoes of what that could feel like, what that could be a metaphor for, and to speak to that just in a sense of helping the collective consciousness um, fight their fears through transmutation. And so that's what the book is for. So the title, The Fear Project, break that down mm-hmm. Fear project. Tell me more about it. Well, I feel like fear is always used as an excuse. I feel like humans always have an excuse for not (laughs) getting over something, just anything. It could Mm. could not even just be fear. It could be anything. But we'll always make an excuse of why it's not the right time, um, why we must hesitate, why we must plan and, you know, (laughs) try to be uh, on Mm -hmm. generals about emotional things when in general it's an emotional thing it's a spiritual thing whatever you do whatever you decide to choose you must trust your intuition and know that it's destiny that you will not fail so the idea of the fear project is that if I confront these things then I can no longer be afraid of them. I can no longer be triggered by them when they arrive. I could, you know, still be hurt by them, sure, but that's not the point. Mm -hmm. We're not living life to escape being hurt because then we're living a half-life based off of escapism and constantly trying to Mm -hmm. avoid something, avoidance. So that's not what we're trying to do, but the fear project is saying we're trying to meet everyone. We're trying to meet everything that lives in the shadows of us so that it is light now. 
question for you. Is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? I think it depends on, (laughs) I think it definitely depends on the person because some people, like myself, when I write, I'm throwing it all on the page. And so I do feel it's a very vulnerable experience for some people. Or I also feel like this, why I mentioned Black writers and poets in general being my inspirations. We defy form, you know, um, historically form is created you know, by classical and Victorian and basically different white writers and different white institutions where some, you know, being black, being yourself, maybe even being neurodivergent, being divergent in general, you might not fit into a form. You might not fit into mm. into what is law, what, it, what people are saying is poetry, what is beautiful. You might not fit into other people's perception of what it's beautiful poetry, and I feel like some people do hide behind the walls of form, and so that can be building a wall. But for the most part, I think that there is a certain amount of vulnerability that it just requires to be a writer at all. So I'm sure everybody is being vulnerable, but some of us more than others, maybe. <laughs> it sounds like as I'm listening to you, and my question is going to come out of this. Based on what you know about the world, based on what you know about poetry, does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? I think certain poems have been definitely hard to write, especially if you're actually, mm-hmm. like I said, being vulnerable about something, and maybe it's not something yes. that, even if you have went to therapy about it, it can be different to put it down in words. Um, I remember mm. um, how some trigger words, uh, rape, sexual assault. Um, I remember when I was raped and it was, and someone told me I was at the police station and they told me to write down my story in words, word for word, what happened. Um, mm. And so I did. And that was hard. That wasn't even a poem. That was just, a recollection. And I feel like that's what poetry is sometimes. It can be a recollection and it can be hard to relive certain things that were hard to live the first time anyways. So I think some poetry mm-hmm. is hard to write. And some of it's very easy because, it's, like I said, it could be a strike of lightning, a strike of inspiration and in that case it's just flowing out of you. Sometimes it doesn't even feel like your own. It feels like you're writing for someone else or even if you are writing for yourself, it's bringing you joy and glee to write it. So it's not hard. You know, I appreciate you sharing that information with me. And it makes me wonder, did you write the FIB project for you or to help others? Or is it a combination? Definitely a combination. I wrote it for myself because mm-hmm. I always saw myself in college as fearless. When we when I did work on a play and we were supposed to choose a fear, it was very hard for me to choose a fear because I felt like I had been through so many scary things as a child that a lot of the things weren't scary. So um, what mm. was what is something I did decide was a fear of mine in college was failure. And um, that was, um, I think, as an adult, 
we got to a place of irony with that fear because you could fail and it's learning, you know? Um, and, some, and some people will try to use your belief in failure as, you know, a reason to try to bring you down, try to make you feel like you're not good enough, that you're not doing enough, that you're not consistent or you're not, you know, making them proud. And I think the FAIR project is about, yes, making myself proud. It's not about, you know, any of the readers, honestly. I keep telling people that <laughs> when I go to open mics recently, okay. I keep saying, I'm not, I'm not writing for you. I'm writing for me. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote all these okay. poems for me, not really thinking or not really caring if people would like it, or if they would understand it. I don't write or change so much words or you know, ideas or the way that I form things because somebody might not understand it. I think that I'm writing mm-hmm. to challenge people. So if you don't understand it, that maybe you can come ask a question like you're doing right now. Um, I, I genuinely right. think communication is most important here. All right. Please share another poem. Okay. So... Um, this next poem is going to be called Copophobia, Fear of Species. (laughs) I'm actually so irked of comparisons of any type. There's nobody in the world that I want to be like. There's no shit in the world I love more than mine. There's nobody I learn from more infinite than my own mind. Have you ever dug a pellet out of your anus because it got stuck? Have you ever sent a squirt across the room, something like a fountain? Have you ever felt a cramp from the spine? To the inside of your vagina. Have you ever wanted to go to China but couldn't afford to go to China? Life is species. Life is full of sugar, cholesterol, and diabetes. Life is full of prostate cancer and hypertension. Life is all about where you put your damn attention. Well, I'm putting all my shit at the forefront of my shitty mind. I'm not giving another soul a soul ounce of my precious time, especially when they don't appreciate they shit. I know that if they're not cognizant, they'll shit all over my existence. I won't let you. I refuse to be your toilet or your outhouse of any kind. Uh, <laughs> I want you to think of all the colors on the spectrum, all right? Mm-hmm. At this moment in time, what color is poetry? Oh, in wow. this moment. <laughs> not tomorrow. I wasn't expecting to Not later tonight. That. In this moment, color is poetry, my friend. Well... I feel like poetry, funny enough, I'll challenge your your other part. Poetry is always this color that I'm going to say. It never changes okay. colors. 
Now the person and their emotions, the poet, they might change colors, but poetry itself is always sky blue. Mm. Tell me more about sky blue. I want to hear everything. <laughs> Tell me. Sky blue is, in my opinion, it's the highest frequency color that there is. It is, it is more pure. Um, and I think people always associate purity with white, um, with virginity mm-hmm. in the wedding dress. But it's sky blue. Um, that is why they tell you to, um, what? They tell you to wear blue on your wedding day. But it's this specific color of sky blue, the, the color of when you look in the sky, and it's this perfect light blue, it's the heavens, you know, it's, it's angelic, it's, it's divinity. Um, we have the ocean, and, and that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily sky blue, because sometimes it can get really deep, it can get really dark emotions, but sky blue is, is something pure about talking about any type of emotions, even if it's black, even if it's red, even if it's green, if it's, you know, orange, if it's yellow, whatever it is that the poet is channeling through, it still Mm -hmm. has this high frequency that connects us all with sky blue of when we go outside. um, It's that song, Blue Skies. Um, that things are being free and easy, that we're letting things get out of us. It's turning what is inside, what is earth, what is fire, what is water into air. Wow. (laughs) It's beautiful. (laughs) You know, that's the first time I've ever asked that question that way. But something was on my heart to, to ask you that, that you're sharing about sky blue. I can see it. Yeah. And and I think poetry is, I mean, people are always trying to make their poetry very visual. They want people to be able to be where they were when they decided to see these things that they saw. And that, you know, that's a state of mind. That's a state of consciousness that we share or that we're trying to Mm -hmm. be able to share with another person. We're going to take a very, very brief break. Here's a question that I'd like you to answer or to think about while we're on this break, here's the question. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. What is out there is not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on the editing process? And we'll be right back. breaks are really, really brief. So, John, what is your take on editing? Um, so, um, I actually do like that you said um, 
that editing, or I do like that you said some people say that poets are like living beings, or poet poems yes. are like living beings. Because, um, mm-hmm. because yeah, once it's out there, like a baby, <laughs> once you have a child, or you have a teenager, <laughs> and you know, you work on it, you work on it at home, and once you send it, well, yeah, it's really nothing you can do. <laughs> would hope that you know it teaches that it's learning it's nothing really you can do about it um I I feel that way about the fear project you know I think that's why some people spend so many so much time on their books that they do want it to be Mm -hmm. what what do we call perfect but um I think it's something about our society needing to know that even if you make a mistake the mistake is destined it's perfect in itself and that it could be the mistake that you made could be still revealing something about the poem. It could still typos mm-hmm. um, to somebody who's very spiritual like myself and, and you know, even mm-hmm. has meanings, you know, self-created meanings of what each letter means. When someone even makes a typo, I have an association for that. So it still means something to me. And, and that's how I know that this all this is, you know, so subjective, you know, it can still mean so much to somebody else. Um, And that poem can still be life-changing, even if it's not what you would feel is perfection. So um, I did have, you know, a mentor, his name is Mervyn Seabray, and I feel like he, Mm -hmm. you know, said you're constantly supposed to be working on your poems like a baby. Um, Like it's constantly Mm -hmm. there for growth. Me, myself, I definitely do, you know, if I revisit a poem and I haven't gotten it, you know, published like a, in a book form, that maybe I would still, but for the most part, I, I leave my poems alone. <laughs> for the most okay. part, All I right. trust my poems. <laughs> I trust my poems to do what they're supposed to do when I wrote it. I trust my choices <laughs> when I first made them. And if I made a mistake, then I trust my mistakes too. So that's what I feel about editing. So when you write a poem, who leads? You or the poem? Who drives? Definitely the poem. (laughs) I am, and that's what's funny. (laughs) I think that's the funny part, maybe even about having kids. Like, even if you did want to lead, sometimes you'll see that that child's personality is just too big to control. And that's how I feel about some of my poems. Mm. I can't put them in a form. I can't tell my poems what to do. They're telling me what to do. They're telling me what to write. And I'm just, I'm just um, a transcriber <laughs> or mm, something. Okay. Thanks. Beautiful. Please share another piece. Yeah, but. I enjoy hearing your okay. work. Please share another. Thank you. This next poem is called Chemophobia. And chemophobia is the fear of chemicals. It's 2.28 p.m. And I delay feeding myself to finish a book that I know will taste better than any chemical field artificially bred, born, 
cultivated or labored feast that I could pretend fulfills me. I'm in the matrix, bugged in like a fly on the wall, listening to Cypher tell Trinity that he rather pretend the stakes are real and as delicious as we convinced ourselves they are. I don't want to eat slop in Zion either, but I'm starting to question the people I share the surface with and our collective complacency with letting our country poison us, any self in existence, especially the external selves who continue to buy the genetically modified crops and wonder why they feel like a prop in their own featured story. I feel at peace, or rather, I make peace with the fact that I cannot genetically modify anyone outside of my own chemical composition and that it's not my fault that you won't stop smoking cigarettes, but you are indeed and in fact killing the earth. And maybe I'm being complicit in the slow death of a planet I love because I love you too. How many poems are in the Fear Project? Are you one? I believe that there are a total of, um, I want to say, 42 (laughs) poems in this book. 42 or 43. Wow. So each title of each poem is a phobia? Yes, it is. Each one is a phobia, and it's going um, it's going by alphabetical order. It's alphabetically ordered. So, um, for example, it's like aculophobia, acousticophobia, acrophobia, aerophobia, agoraphobia, agoraphobia, acrophobia, and then you know. So that's why it's volume one because I only got through um, to cynophobia. That's the very last poem in this uh, e-book. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, when I do volume two, I'll pick up where I left off with the next C word or starting with the Ds, um, whichever <laughs> the case may be. <laughs> All right. Until I what get was the, the most challenging? <laughs> well, what was the most challenging part of writing the book? The most challenging part was not trying to make myself, um, not comparing myself to anything that has already been published. Because if it was supposed to be something that's already been published, then there would be no need for my book. So my main goal was to make sure that I was writing from my heart and honoring myself and what I felt like represented each phobia and not basing it off of somebody else's interpretation but my own 
And then, you know, if you do get your own interpretation, then that's beautiful. That's what poetry is supposed to do. It's supposed to spark a conversation. Right. And you're supposed to have your own feelings about things. But that doesn't mean that that has to be where I was coming from. So I was just trying to All right. get a handle on that. <laughs> All right. So conversely, what was the, the easiest part of writing? The easiest part of writing it was writing it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> the easiest part of writing it was actually just going ahead and writing the poems. It felt like, you know, a breeze and just fun, getting through it, you know, holding myself to get through it and, you know, taking myself to different places within the poems mm. and kind of having fun with writing them. There's some poems in there that they are just so comedic and still so profound and I I and it's funny to me, you know, it was amusing and entertaining mm-hmm. for me to write it. So that that was the most fun part. Putting it together was probably the most not fun part. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, for many people, writing poetry is viewed as a private affair. And you as you shared, you open mics and I heard you speak. That's how I found you. So, I mean, yes. uh, what made you decide to share your work? What um, you do that? I feel like I first got on the whole Zoom open mic scene last year, 2022. Okay. And like, um, I want to say it was uh, February. And um, that came out of, I was already writing so much poetry on my lonesome like from just 2020 had a bunch of poetry stacked up and um i think i was in a relationship with someone and i tried to i wrote a poem about something specifically that happened in our relationship and they didn't want (laughs) to they didn't want to like uh explore the poem with me and i think that moment has was like in my head even in 2022 of like I need somebody, I need to find someone to go there with me. And I think that's what the open mics allowed, you know, just for me to go somewhere with my poetry. And I think as I started going to more open mics and really started getting a feel for what that was, I realized that, yes, Mm -hmm. I didn't need anybody to go there with me. I needed to go there with Mm -hmm. myself. I needed to do the open mics. Mm -hmm. I needed to hear myself speak about my experiences. I needed to know that I am doing my diligence, which is sharing my work, because I don't believe that God or the universe or divinity gave me these words for me to keep them to myself. Now, are you different on stage? Hmm. What do you mean? (laughs) Well, the, the question that I ordinarily ask, what is the qualitative difference between your speaking voice and your written voice? Because some people is like, once they share their work, something else takes over. And it's like a new mm. person is there. Then they're, when they're mm. just sharing, you know, alone or by themselves, you know what I'm saying, they're really shy. But when they put it out there, something else takes over. That's what I'm asking. Oh, well, I don't feel like there's a difference. If any, well, if there is a difference, then maybe I have the opposite. I might okay scale back 
in performances sometimes because I'm a very loud person. I'm a very um, versatile reader. And so I think sometimes I have to watch how I am performing because I think some people take a lot of my poetry very personally. And it's funny because, like I said, I don't write for other people. I write for me. This is about my life and my experiences and my spirit. And yet, Mm-hmm. I find a lot of people taking my things very personally. Maybe it speaks to them so much that they feel like I'm, I know their life. I'm directly talking to them, but I don't. <laughs> so, um, okay. you know, okay. I think I have to, I have to be very cautious sometimes of how I deliver poetry. And, and that is, I think also where the love infinite came from, because I realized I have a very brash tone sometimes naturally. And I feel like my speaking voice may be just talking right now. I feel like I, most people describe it as very sweet and just loving to hear me talk. But sometimes I think a, a bit of a, a bit of a, um, it can, it can have a, an attack um, and not in a bad way, but I just think my words are just, they're coming from spirit. So, you know, if spirit wants to touch you, they will touch you. And it can feel like an attack sometimes. It can feel like an attack when you okay. weren't ready to to hear about yourself, to deal with something that you've been avoiding. Like I said, some people actively are doing a lot of escaping and avoiding. And so it can be very, like, confronting something like the Fear Project or something like My Poetry Live. There are times when I write love poems, and, you know, that's not gonna, that's not too confronting. That's not too challenging. Love poems aren't challenging. <laughs> but, um, you know, when I am maybe critiquing society or I'm critiquing mental health or I'm critiquing judgmental people, then I think a lot of people can feel touched, um, good and bad, by the poems and mm-hmm. my delivery, my tone. You know, writing can be a very stressful pursuit as well as emotionally draining. Do you have any tips for aspiring poets in terms of self-care? Self-care. Especially if you're, like, on the open mic scene. Don't try to go to all the open mm-hmm. mics, my love. <laughs> it's just okay. too much. It's too much. And you have to be careful with yourself. You have to be careful with your energy. Your energy is precious. You are precious. You are something worth being protected, something worth spending time with yourself. So making sure you're okay, checking in, making sure you're not, you know, depending on the applause, depending on the validation, depending on the community. Even though we are not meant to be alone, we also, I think that really means you have to learn how to trust the community of yourself. You have to learn how to Mm. spend time with your ancestors or your angels, your, your bloodline, not necessarily your family. I mean the the undead parts of you, the unseen parts of you, the parts that are still crying, the grieving parts of you. You have to spend time with your shadow. You have to spend time with your light just for you. And then you can go take that in as many rooms and as many places as you would like. But you have to be with yourself, love yourself in dark times and not always go to a room because you need some support. Sometimes you have to support yourself. Just so that you can but you know, become funny. accustomed to doing that. 
I can understand I was thinking that I had written a book on let's say fear the fear project and I was looking at phobias and a whole list of them. I would say to myself, Okay, I've got that one, that one, <laughs> that one. <laughs> that's yeah. one that I, that's me right there. <laughs> that's me right there too. Oh yeah. <laughs> I have a little table of contents in the beginning so that, you right. know, with the definition mm-hmm. so that if somebody did want to do what you did and they say, oh, wow, a telephobia, fear of imperfection, I totally have that. Let me, let me flip to okay, page 27 good. and read that. I have that. <laughs> okay, good. I was going to ask that. <laughs> That's great, because I was going to yes, ask, how did you deal with the emotional impact of a book about fear? How did you deal with it? I promise it wasn't that hard because I knew what I was doing. I knew that I was invoking something so that I could get past it. And when you set mm. intentions, when you're intentional with what you're going into, if you're intentionally going into the into the dark you can't be afraid of the dark anymore because i decided i'm going there um it's funny because i i had i had you know became homeless in june and so i was out and i was considering going into the woods and it was so dark and so eerie and such crazy sounds i was like i can't do this i can't spend one night in the woods and some and some people might say so you didn't get over your fear of sleeping in the woods but really i realized that no i went in the woods i was there i was crying like michael dr ingram i was crying i was like this isn't for me and sometimes you just sometimes your fears are just your body and spirit's way of communicating your soul's way of communicating that Something is not for you, and you don't have to keep mm. suffering with that just because you're trying to prove something egotistically that to someone else that you're not afraid of it. Sometimes you just have to know that cer- certain things aren't for you. And then there are some fears that are just, you know, it might be what some people call a little crazy, like how can you, how could you be? But, you know, you never know what happened to somebody to get them to a place of their soul and their spirit knowing that that's no longer for me. I feel that strongly about it. Love Infinite, you speak with such clarity. So according to you then, what is the first step to becoming more self-aware? I think I need the answer to this question. What's the first step? (laughs) Um... So, self awareness. Yeah, the the very first step of self awareness is knowing that is that acknowledgement that you need to be more self aware. That mm-hmm. is where awareness starts. Saying it seems like I am not aware of myself. I was kind of dating someone this summer, and they said. They kept t- and I was interested in them, and they kept telling me they don't know themselves. And so we decided mm. that our relationship wasn't going to work because I know myself very well, <laughs> and they don't know. Okay, okay, okay. And and 
and and I decided that that person wasn't for me because I do like a self-aware individual. I do like someone who can speak to me. I speak a lot, and, and I do speak with clarity. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who get lost in their own thoughts, get lost in their own emotions, get lost in their own words. But also, I feel like there's even more people who don't want to be, who don't want to look stupid, who don't want to be wrong. When, when, and that's something I think that's also not being self-aware, you know, um, that if you were talking to a child, the way that you talk to yourself as an adult, would that be abusive? Mm-hmm. Sometimes people talk to themselves in ways that they would never talk to another person. And um, I think that it's, it's so many things to be self-aware about. Um, I, I break this down um, on my website. I do, I do healing sessions spiritual sessions oh, to wow. get people to a place of wow. self-awareness. I, I I do it with art therapy. But this is about oh, this wow. is about becoming nice. so aware of your surroundings. You know, you have to be aware of mm-hmm. what tabs you have open on your computer, in your mm-hmm. mind, and how the tabs you have open in your computer are a reflection of your mind. You have to be aware of why are those clothes on your floor? And why are you avoiding doing the laundry? And why are you avoiding do- taking the shower? And it's not just because depression. There's something, it's, it's, it's something deeper to your story. There's always something more. Um, I remember when I was younger, I would not take showers sometimes. I grew up poor and the water was not hot. It was not hot. It wasn't even warm. Sometimes it would just be cold because that bathroom that we had to use was broken those knobs were broken. And so I would avoid the shower just off of not wanting to deal with the cold water where maybe somebody else would have found a different way. I just would avoid it completely. Um, And I think becoming older, dealing with depression, that became something I had to become more aware about. Like what is hygiene? What is cleanliness? What is the importance of this? I started doing experiments purposely. Like what what, what is the difference of my body not taking a shower for three days compared to if I take a shower twice a day. What am I accomplishing here? What am I opening up for myself? What am I bringing to myself? Is it clarity? Is it calm? Is it peace? Just, you know, cleansing my body? Is that creating a connection with it? Are we, am I able to sit with myself? Um, And just different things. You have to be able to ask you have to be curious about yourself and just ask a million questions and never get tired of yourself or else I think, why are you expecting other people to not get tired of you? Like I say, learning is a constant journey. You have to be constantly open to the fact that you're going to change, that things are life altering, no matter how small they are. Sometimes they they you're adding to your experiences, you're adding to your thought bubbles and, and you want to, keep that in mind. You want to keep in mind that you're constantly evolving just off of what you ate. Like I ate, a, I decided to drink a Coke today. I decided to drink a sweet tea. You have to ask yourself, what is the significance of your decision, of your choice? How is this, mm-hmm. what is the effect that this is going to have? And I think when you just start asking yourself more questions about everything, even if it has nothing to do with you, like if you think it has nothing to do with you, you have to ask yourself, why is this why am I seeing this? Why is this in my story? Why is this in my movie? I saw this. So it's important for some reason. And I have to go back in my memory sometimes. Or you have to time travel and figure out why something is important. What is this moment trying to teach you? What is this new 
occurrence or new experience or a new sight that you've never seen before? What is it doing for you, settling on you? What does it make you feel? What does it remind you of? You just have to keep asking questions, I think, to yourself to be the most self-aware that you could be. You know, I don't think we live in a world that's very self-aware. I don't think so either. I'm happy you said that. (laughs) Yes. So much is happening in our world. There's the good, the bad, the ugly, as well as the indifferent. All right? So what do you view, Love Infinite, as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Um... I think you're supposed to keep up with the time. I think that's that's okay. what art is. Art is about, and it's not keeping up with the times because I'm not saying, oh, if somebody doesn't keep up with the times, they're not a poet. I'm saying you have to change how you attribute words, how you attribute language. Like even when I say keep up with the times, that is, that means with what you're experiencing. That's your time is, time is, you know, is what we experience. It is time that's only created based off of the, you know, our experiences and, and continuing to gather more and more. And that's how we start to um, develop a feeling of time. Oh, it's like, I've ne- I haven't felt that way in years. You know, that's a feeling that you have. That's not that time exists. Mm-hmm. That's the fact that you are comparing that to something else that you experienced before. And I think that poets are constantly doing that maybe for themselves and for other people, um, whether they're, they're, it's their goal to do it for other people or not, even if they just do it for themselves, mm-hmm. you know, somebody can say, oh, I agree with that. I haven't, the 90s were a great time or the 80s were something special or actually they were very bad or actually they were a combination of a bunch of things and this poem talks all about it. It, it, it doesn't leave a stone untouched and I think that's what poets are for, for not leaving a stone untouched. Wow. You know, we've reached my favorite part of the program. I view it as being a mini poetry concert. This is an opportunity for you to share two, three, four of your works back to back, no interruptions from me at all. Love Infinite, you're on the stage. Thank you so much. Okay, well, I'm going to jump around in my book and... uh... Maybe I'll read one that's not in my book. The first poem is called Aculophobia. I've written two poems called Aculophobia, but this is the one that is in my book. Um, when people purchase my book, I send the other poem that I wrote, which is much longer, in the thank you email. So, the poem Aculophobia. Everywhere I turn, there is darkness. And I am afraid. I am afraid of myself. I am afraid of making mistakes. I am afraid of my own darkness. I am afraid of hurting someone. I am afraid of hurting myself. I cut myself on the Reynolds wrap box in search of a covering, a foundation for my consumption, and another fear 
just realized, even when I don't, even when I'm careful, even when I'm being cautious, even when I'm taking my time, even when I try my hardest to prevent a bad thing, it still happens. Why me? I realize maybe a little too late, I am still grappling with accepting that I'm not in control, that the night is needed to illuminate things and bring order to what I otherwise would never contemplate or organize. Experiences I rather not have, moments of weakness I rather keep hidden. It's just a tiny cut on my right index finger, but I'm angry still. I want to cry, I want to hide. This next poem is called Acrophobia. Don't fly too close. Don't fly too high, my Icarus. Don't tell me what to do. If I don't fly, I'll die a lousy hypocrite. You don't know how it feels to soar with the air everywhere around you. You don't know how it feels to die and still no one notices you. Don't fly too high. Don't get too close, my son. This is my destiny. Father, don't you know I'm the only one who can do what I do? Side by the sun, letting pride take me higher. Always dream to be a glider. Don't you go up there. Don't you dare jump, Icarus. Nobody even cares, Dad. This is what I have to do to make myself appear invisible far too long. Now I'll make them all see me. I don't care if I die. I've long been exhausted of being me. Don't. This next poem is called Anthropophobia. Anthropophobia. Sometimes, sometimes humans are scary. They put pesticides on your veggies and additives in your dairy. Sometimes, most times, humans are scary. They don't fight for what they want. They hate the people they marry. Sometimes, all times, humans are scary. They make excuses for all of the bags that they carry. They create explosives and nuclear weapons and leave them at your doorbell and call it a present. This next poem is called Androphobia. I'm afraid of your strength. I'm afraid of your power. I'm afraid you're a tyrant. I'm afraid you're a coward. I'm afraid you're a dictator, just like me. I'm afraid you'll try to dictate your will all over me. I'm afraid 
you're a murderer. I'm afraid you're a rapist. I'm afraid that you'll drug me, take me home, and then tape it. I'm afraid that you'll masquerade in falsity as my friend. I'm afraid that you're around just to see what you can get. I'm afraid of your cat calls. I'm afraid of your advances. I'm afraid you'll want sexual favors in exchange for cash advances. I'm afraid that you're no good at all. I'm afraid of your intentions. I'm afraid that my fears aren't at all fictitious. I'm afraid of you, man. I've been hurt by so many. There isn't one that I trust surrounded by plenty. And this very last poem, this will make my um <laughs> fifth poem, not fourth, but I'm still going to go ahead and get it out there. Um, I just wrote it recently. Mm-hmm. It is called, It Is Easy to Love You Because You Are Love. It's impossible not to love you, Bible girl who doesn't know the verses by heart, but committed revelations to memory and past lives. It's impossible not to love she who wears the burning bush for hair and the Red Sea every month, bleeding roses until her petals dry and only thorns remain so beautiful, so sharp, so decadent and elegant, too complex to be empty, too abundant to be barren, too overflowing to be shallow, deserted, abandoned, discarded. Call her talons flowers and wish for them to claw at their cheeks so they can feel alive again, but she resuscitates in other ways. She has her ways and they oscillate. She has her tools and they're always changing. She sharpens her secret weapons on a rock, whispering sweet incantations to their necks and shoulders, soothing their minds before battles, recovering their confidence from the wardrobe. Lions and witches, they lost them in too. She has a purpose. She breathes in too. She has a body that makes the mountains move. She has a sacred flare that the winds call too. She has an armpit full of hair to let herself loose, reminding herself that all of her is perfect creation. Impossible not to love. Impossible not to love her blackness, impossible not to love her sensuality, impossible not to love her sexuality and find it divine, impossible not to recognize her mind in destruction of time, impossible not to find every part of her existence divine and nowhere to draw a boundary or line. It is impossible not to love her because she is love. You our love. Wow. Do you think you were meant to be a poet? <laughs> Absolutely. I think I was meant to be everything. I'm one of those people I'm one of those people who believe in divinity. <laughs> I, I believe that I was meant to be whatever I 
would become. <laughs> Whatever I want to do, then that is what is meant to be. Um, that is what I was meant to do. That is my destiny. The destiny well, could change at any point in time. You get to choose. So I was absolutely meant to be a poet because I chose to write poetry. All right. Well, what surprises you most about being a poet? The process that I love. I'm channeling. I just love channeling. Mm. I just love being a vessel um, for divinity to speak through. I love performing because there's so many different ways to say a poem. There's no one way to say the poem. And so that's always changing. That's always evolving. And then um, I just love sharing. I love hearing the feedback, um, how, what something I wrote made someone feel or what it reminded them of or how it may have helped them process something or reflect on something or brought up something that they may have forgotten. So there's like so many parts to being a poet that I am grateful for. (laughs) So if someone walked up to you with the book, the Fear Project, and said, please, what advice would you give me before I purchase this book? What would you tell I would say, what you scared of? <laughs> I would say, what you scared of? What you waiting for? <laughs> That's exactly what I would say. Um, it's, it's as simple as what you holding back for. What you scared? Do it. What's stopping you? Life is short. You can die tomorrow by the book today. I said, what did you learn about yourself writing the field project? What did I learn about myself? Um, mm-hmm. uh, hmm. It doesn't need to be a large nugget. You're small. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I really learned something other than I can do something in a short amount of time. It doesn't, I don't have to okay. take so long. And then maybe just, you know, how infinite that I am, that there could have been, mm. I could have wrote that one poem. I could write a tickophobia in a hundred different ways. So that's what I learned. I, right. I learned that my love is infinite and my writing is as well. well all right. All right. Working the book we purchased. I'm sorry, say it one more time. Yes, where can the book be purchased? Oh, the book can be purchased on my personal shop. Uh, It's my Beacons link. If you find me on social media, then all of my social medias are connected. This Beacon link is sold on my Beacon shop. So that's where it will be until, you know, it's a physical copy, and then there will be somewhere else for you to get it. But for right now, it is exclusively sold on my Beacon shop. All right. So what's next for you? Where do you go from here creatively? What's next on your plate? What's next on your agenda? Well, I am hoping to start working on a documentary about uh, healing wow. health post the pandemic. 
um, I went to school and I did a lot of short films in school, but I hadn't done a full length film yet. So I'm hoping to, you know, find funding to do this full length film. That's what I really want to do. I'm also just, you know, hoping to get, um, you know, maybe go back to school soon so that I can get my licensing and start practicing art therapy with my own practice. Other things are just writing mm-hmm. books and just doing as much creative things as possible. It's just living every day to the fullest right. and doing as much as possible. All yeah. right. Have you ever heard of poetry therapy? Um, well, I've watched, I've listened to other um, of these podcasts, so I've heard you say that term before, but when I yes. say art therapy, I consider poetry to be art. So with with my right, right. um yeah, with my brand of art therapy, it's about figuring out what that person it's it's an individualized assessment of what mm-hmm. that person responds well to and then also exploring different methods of art. So I definitely think poetry is therapeutic and all art forms are because it allows for self expression. Nice. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> you're great. I want to thank you for joining me. You remind me of, I was thinking of tornado. Not a tornado that stirs up destruction and chaos, but a tornado that stirs up beauty and understanding and empathy and love. Aww. To me, it's what you stir up. Yeah. Yeah, or a hurricane yeah. that stirs up those positive things. You know, not destruction. I love, I love that you said that. Thank you. Thank you very much. You are just absolutely amazing. I don't <laughs> and I want you to come back and Doctor Ingram. <laughs> I want you to come back. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure this happens. I want you to come back in twenty twenty four with Whatever you'd like to share, if you have friends you want to bring with you for an evening of poetry, we can do it. No questions from me at all. Just you and your friends just sharing, sharing your truth through the power. Yes, that sounds like fun. That definitely sounds like fun. I have a couple more, uh, I have a couple natural disaster friends like myself. This tornado, have a couple of raindrops, a couple of sunlight, lantern carriers, and so on. So I definitely think we could be the poetry Avengers to come in. Be the man. Right. That's right. I love it. I love it. I wish you nothing Mm -hmm. but the best. I don't think I even need to wish you that because it's already happening. I mean, victory has already been claimed in your world. Wow. That's how I see it. Yes, for all of us. For all of us. Yes, yes, for all of us. That's right. I'll throw myself in there too. In some way, shape, or form. In some way, shape, or form. Victory has been claimed for all of us. Yes, that's a nice positive rephrase. Well, all right. Thank you again. I want to thank the listening audience. And as I share with the group or the listeners every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout definitely take care of yourself okay <laughs> thank you good i want night. you to take care of yourself as well good night With, all right <laughs> i would poetry online radio
You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.